welcome to episode 16 of Speaking Up. I am your host, Miles Taylor, and I'm thrilled to be hosting this on Colin, a social podcasting app that allows us, if we would like to, to take questions from listeners. Today, our guest is startup co-founder Luke Anderson, who is disrupting the beverage industry with a cannabis-infused social tonic. The company is called Can. And we're going to talk today about how they are trying to make low-dose weed drinks go mainstream. And I'm excited to welcome him to the program. So, Luke, welcome to Speaking Up. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, great to, great to have you on the program. So, Luke, t- tell us this. Where did the concept of a social tonic come from? And how did you guys get into this business? Tell us the story behind the company Can. My friend Jake and I, um, we go way back to our mid-20s. We started uh, on the exact same day at Bain & Company as management consultants, and we, we both worked in the consumer goods practice, and we both had a very problematic alcohol drinking habit. So um, the, the idea for Can was born out of his brain. He grew up in Colorado with this legalization of cannabis from his front doorstep, and, and our mutual uh, love-hate relationship with alcohol. And it turns out we are probably in the overwhelming majority of people who, who say, yes, I drink alcohol, but no, I, I don't want to drink as much as I am drinking today. It, it literally is poison. It's very fun poison, but it, it kills your brain cells and does all kinds of damage to, to the human body. So um, how can we capitalize on this very important problem of I want to drink less, but I don't want to be completely sober. And, and this other issue of how do, how do you, I access cannabis for the first time? And, and that's how can was born. It's, it's an elegant way to, to do both become familiar with cannabis without being overwhelmed by being too high, but also have an alcohol substitute that's healthy and still gives you a buzz. So I'm, I'm really curious to know, it. it's a super disruptive idea. It comes at a very interesting time. We'll get into the regulatory piece in a minute, because I'm really curious to hear how you are advocating for this movement away from alcohol-based products. But as you guys were starting to try to just ideate and create the product, uh, what did that look like? Were there other exemplars out there in the marketplace? Were there other, are there even other weed drinks out there that you were able to iterate from? How did that development process work? Cannabis beverages uh, before can existed in two forms. One, there were these really high THC beverages, 10 milligrams, 25 milligrams, even 100 milligrams in one drink. And they were selling, but nobody was buying them a second time. And, and we know in, in consumer goods, you really live or die based on repeat purchase and, and referral value. So everyone was talking a big game about weed drinks and Constellation put $4 billion into Canopy Growth. And we have all these partnerships between AB InBev and Tilray and Molson Coors and Hexo. And, and in Canada, you had some lower dosage options that were, were five milligrams but really no one had ever made a microdose THC drink. Uh, Jake and I both said, you know, we want to drink these like you drink alcohol. You have one, then you wait, and then you have another, and then you wait and you have another. And a, a beer or a glass of wine, it really is a microdose of alcohol in a drink. So we, we zeroed in on the two milligram dosage and became the first ever to, to solve that 
you know, I don't want to get too high pain point within the cannabis beverage segment. The other camp, uh, which they call themselves cannabis beverage, but, but really it's not, is um, CBD drinks. There, there were tons of them a few years ago, and I think that the category has largely kind of fallen out of favor, in part due to some regulatory stuff, but in part due to efficaciousness or lack thereof. And, and we differentiated by saying, you know, a CBD drink isn't approachable cannabis. That's, that's hemp as an ingredient, and it does not get you intoxicated. Um, approachable cannabis is, is just smaller amounts of the good stuff, the THC. So uh, here's a question that, <laughs> that when I was talking, uh, Luke, to my partner, Hannah, about this, she said, you know, we're going to have listeners throughout our ecosystem. I mean, when we, when we publish Speaking Up across Apple and Spotify and, and the call-in platform, look, there's going to be folks that tune into this episode that, uh, you know, the idea of, of drinking weed is kind of a pearl-clutching concept. It seems like a foreign concept. How do you describe the feeling from your, your drink? Like you said, you guys are trying to enter this marketplace where people are getting less and less spooked of marijuana, but they're still scared about getting too high. And so you compare having a can of can to having a beer or a glass of wine. Is it a, a similar feeling? How do you describe it to folks who are, you know, outside of that uh, concept of THC uh, altogether? Everyone has that uh, weed, like, oh my God, kind of moment. Uh, but the people who love our product are people who don't do weed, who, who find THC to be scary. Um, a microdose of THC it is very similar in intensity to the effect you get from drinking one beer or one glass of wine. You feel kind of a light, pleasant floatiness. And honestly, it's not that dissimilar from having a, a caffeinated beverage. It's a slightly mind altering experience, but ever so slight. So, you know, grandmothers and, and, you know, moms who have more conservative views on substance use, they, they bristle at the concept, but then when they try it, they're hooked. Uh, I, our, our most loyal consumers. So look, so are, look, you, you're you're portraying this as a Mother's Day gift now. Uh, it's it's <laughs> the, this, the this only way the to ideal get Mother's Day gift. <laughs> with your mother on Mother's Day is a blood orange cardamom can instead of a mimosa. <laughs> I, I think we I think we also now have a good entry point for people with mothers-in-law that they've got to go spend. Uh, next Sunday with is just to bring a six pack a can <laughs> to maybe take the edge off there. Um, so, t so tell me this, Luke, um, when you guys got started the, and, and you're still in a sense of startup company, the regulatory hurdles around distributing even a low dose THC we drink are still enormous. So you've been out there and you guys have been, pushing for more mainstream acceptance of this. What does that look like? And, and what stigmas have you still encountered? It's like selling meat in a vegan grocery store. We are constrained to a channel, uh, the dispensary channel, where people are going to get super high and, and we're offering them a more expensive way to get less high. It makes total sense to someone as an alcohol substitute, but it does not make sense to someone who sells weed. It's just impractical. It takes up a ton of space. Um, but we just really fought very, very hard to show that in one store, you can sell over a thousand cans in one month. And by doing that, it, it hyper locally, everyone started to say, okay, well, you know, as long as the product's moving, we'll take it. 
we do have to build a manufacturing facility in every state that we operate in and we can deliver to people you know through delivery partners in states where it's legal um but you know the dream is that this ends up in grocery stores this ends up in liquor stores and and we we see it in other fields like alcohol you've got beer and wine licenses you got liquor licenses the the strength of the substance is influencing how easy it is to get in cannabis not yet but as the industry matures absolutely you know it, we should have anything that's 2.5 milligrams of thc or below by volume that should be in a grocery store it's not going to hurt anybody um you know it's it, pharmaceutical stuff behind the counter behind the uh, you know pharmacist desk versus over the counter it's just weaker in a lot of cases and and i think that you'll start to see cannabis take um take a, a note so in a sense you all have kind of become poster children for the legalization movement across the country is that something you're leaning into from an advocacy standpoint or or no we lean into it from a messaging standpoint and you know we've got nearly 100,000 followers across our platforms who listen to what we say. But, um, you know, we're not going to be lobbyists. It's, it's big alcohol companies that see the tide turn who say, okay, let me advocate for something that allows us to participate in the future of drinking and inviting cannabis into alcohol distribution and purchasing environments. They are the people who will hopefully catch on to our message and understand this isn't a threat, it's an opportunity. And when they lobby for that change, we all as a society get to benefit from it. Uh, alcohol is fun, it's great, but overuse of alcohol, unwanted alcohol consumption, it causes drunk driving accidents, it causes domestic violence. There, there are so many things that we as a society from just a public health and safety perspective should be mindful of. And cannabis is an elegant solution to a lot of these problems. Luke, have you found opportunities to advance that health message in unexpected places? I mean, I think the concept itself is sort of unexpected that, you know, the co-founder of a, of a weed drink company would be out there promoting the health benefits, but, but really, uh, in a sense, it is that in an environment where especially I think during the pandemic, folks have found that there's been a, a pretty big anecdotally increase in drinking in their social circles. It just you know became something that I think a lot of folks only were cognizant of as we've come out of the pandemic, how serious that's become. Have you found traction with that message in places that you didn't expect it? We found traction in hundreds of places we never expected it. And it all rides on this universal, like 21 out of 25 adults wants to drink less booze starting point, the genesis of the product. That's, that is a cross-generational gender neutral need. That is something that intensified over the pandemic as people were drinking you know, Chardonnay every night for months. Um, we saw our business start to grow significantly because people were at home, they were bored, and what better uh, a place to experiment safely with something like cannabis? And people were upset about what alcohol and an everyday and kind of depressive state was doing to them. And, and they were much happier when they were just giggling and, and doing less harm to their body. A lot of people who may consider a product in this marketplace are, are probably folks who grew up 
you know, buying something in the cannabis category illegally or from a drug dealer. But as you know, marijuana has been decriminalized state by state, um, you know, it's become vastly more reputable. Um, what do you say to consumers who come in with that sort of barrier to entry, that sort of stigma about marijuana to ensure quality? I mean, we're still in a in a window here where folks are wary of a product that, again, they, they used to obtain illegally. I mean, this is sort of like a new end of prohibition type era for you in starting the company. Yeah, the, the prohibition analogy is really interesting. Uh, I think when you first saw prohibition, post-prohibition drinks, you had this like bathtub gin strength and moonshine uh, ideology. And that's very similar to cannabis beverages 1.0. And then over time, as alcohol becomes mainstream again and becomes accepted, you end up having drinks that are very expensive on a per unit of alcohol basis, like White Claw. Um, you know, $2.50 per, per ounce of alcohol versus you could get alcohol a lot more cheaply with Everclear. Uh, can is, is just like that. We're just, you know, putting the cart before the horse a little bit and calling our shot early. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to make that uh, analogy. But also, you know, you all, again, are having to go state by state as this happens. I'm curious to ask you two things about that. As states are decriminalizing is can going in or are you waiting a beat to see what happens from a regulatory standpoint in some of those places? And then my second question would be uh, internationally, how a company like yours views that market and, and where around the world there already perhaps is more mainstream acceptance of this type of product and, and places that you see as emerging markets in this realm. We did just launch Canada, which even though it's an emerging market for us, it is not because it, has a history of 1.0 beverages and, and consumers have been trained that cannabis beverages don't taste good and that they are not worth their time. So, um, you know, Canada is an uphill battle for us, but when you think about the markets that are doing incredibly well for can Illinois and Massachusetts, we move almost as much, uh, in each of those States as we do in California in a given month. And, and that's, because they recently became recreationally legal and we are still meeting these new consumers who are just showing up for the first time with something that they love. Uh, I think that when you look internationally, Mexico is a huge opportunity. They've written laws that, that make it so that can may actually be able to be in the grocery store just day one of legal sales because it's less than 1%. No yeah, it's a, the way that the regulations, at least the first drafts were written, if it's less than 1% THC by volume, throw it in a Walmart. And and honestly, that's the right way to do it. Yeah, I, 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 I want to know what you guys view as successful branding and marketing in this realm um, as you're trying to convince consumers to perhaps leave one marketplace or, or downgrade their consumption in one marketplace of alcohol and accept a new product as this so-called social tonic, what's the effective way to, to reach them and to make them feel safe about that transition? What have you seen works well in the marketplace? In terms of retraining somebody's um, drinking routines, you just talk about it in the same context of how you talk about an alcoholic beverage, but you just avoid the hangover. That's the key thing that people want to, in, in the near term, you know, long-term, it 
has devastating effects on your health if you drink alcohol too much for a sustained amount of time. But in, in the near term, people just want to be more functional and, and less brain dead after a night out. Um, I, I think that when you say it's just like the strength of uh, a glass of wine and you feel great the next morning, that's enough to, for everybody to say, okay, I'm listening. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, I, I imagine that's pretty effective out there when you're telling the story. Are, are you guys involved at all in any research efforts in the industry on different types of marijuana and health effects? Do you reach back into that community at all to to try to help produce, you know, more evidence to show folks uh, that, you know, weed drinks are safe and effective, that sort of thing. What, what engagement do you have in that part of the industry? We don't do very much other than post clever things on uh, social and digital platforms or, or work on marketing campaigns that help us tell stories around this being not the weed that you remember from yesteryear, but uh, something that you should consider equally to any type of beverage with any type of mild intoxicant in it. And, and that includes a cup of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us, Luke, a little bit about, you know, you and what your experience has been in this startup. I mean, outside of the fact that you all are trying to break into a brand new product category, you're trying to do something very different. Frankly, you're trying to tell a story about the future of weed. That's very different than the story that's been told before. Um, but, you know, Putting aside the challenges of bringing marijuana to market in a new way, uh, just starting any company is a challenge. I mean, I would love to hear from you about what that experience has been like as an entrepreneur and, uh, and a first-time entrepreneur. It, uh, am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, you can, Luke, you can, you're here talking about a weed drink. You can say whatever you want. Okay, <laughs> I keep forgetting. Like, I literally am a drug dealer. Um, it fucking sucks. It, it, like I lost all my friends. I lost, uh, you know, all of my creature comforts the way I used to live. I just wake up and I, I, from the minute I get up till the minute I go to sleep, it's just work, 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 work. My phone is, is never like not ringing with somebody mad at me about something. And in order to create a category, you have to piss off a lot of people. If you, if you want to be disruptive and you want to be successful, you have to go against the grain and yeah. it is very, very difficult to just keep taking steps while you have everyone telling you no and that it's impossible. We finally reached a point where, you know, we have some brand equity and people like what we, we do because the juice is good and the product works. But there are these moments where it's not going well in the early stages that you're like, oh, my God, like, am I is this like Theranos? Like, is this like <laughs> one of these like really crazy things that just like is not going to work? Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's, uh, entrepreneurship is scary, not for the pain of heart. My husband and I both are, um, first time venture back to entrepreneurs. So we have, you know, the two of us stress cases in one roof. And then, yeah. um, I, I've, you know, when life happens to you, you barely can keep up. My, my mom got sick with brain cancer last year and she died in March and, and it was devastating, but it was even more devastating because, you know, when you've got 40 people that work for you and, and you have, you know, millions of dollars that you've taken from investors, the pressure, you can't just let it go. You, you have to somehow find a way to be, be present with your family and also keep the train on the tracks. And if it's not hard enough to keep the train on the tracks in an early stage startup, 
it is really hard to do it when you have something really bad happen to you. And, and, you know, I'm still in grief over it and I will be for an extremely long time. And it, it makes it that much harder. Well, Luke, I'm really sorry to hear that. Although I've got to, I'm captured by this notion though, that in a sense, you know, all the hardship that you've been through in the pandemic and starting the company and the personal tumult for a lot of people that would probably drive them to go drink in a sense with the company that you've made, you've kind of come up with healthier coping mechanisms for that. I, I wonder if through all of this, the roller coaster of the pandemic, personal life, uh, you know, entrepreneurship, kind of what have those been, those big takeaways been for stress management? Uh, you got to have a routine, um, you know, health, diet, exercise, um, those are parts of it. But um, I, I use acupuncture as like a meditation relaxation exercise and and that is is amazing um i have a therapist and a couple therapists um when we were dealing with uh how to do caretaking we had a family therapist it you know take advantage of whatever resources you have at your disposal and never lie to yourself uh, and say that you can handle everything um and also surround yourself with really good people that you trust uh, that I, I can have people just handle stuff if I go completely off the grid and I can go to bed every night knowing that they are doing a good job. That is the ultimate gift. We have a number of folks that we've had on the program who have been entrepreneurs and started successful companies. Um, you know, I know you're in the midst of this building this rocket ship that is the company can, uh, but what what other lessons beyond stress management would you give for young up and coming entrepreneurs? I mean, are there mistakes that you tell them to avoid that you all might've made and that you think uh, could help them get their rocket ships off the launch pad? Oh, don't hire your friends. Just don't. I like, even if they're really amazing, also don't take money from your friends, even if they're really amazing at what they do. And even if you are, um, you know, excited to get up out of bed every day to take a personal check from a friend and, and multiply it. Um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, everyone is is operating with their own agenda and the, that relationship changes once it becomes professional or transactional. Um, I, I am not as close with a lot of the people I used to be close with because, uh, you know, we've disagreed about certain things or, um, we had a different strategy and, and it just became too tense, um, firing friends, uh, having friends quit. Uh, those are very painful things that change the nature of your relationship. And, and although it's great to, to work with people that you like and have fun with, um, it's a risk. And I would, I would recommend that entrepreneurs find the best person for the job, not the person that's nearest to them that has the most energy. Yeah. The recommendation of, not working with friends and also family is a good one. I mean, it's proven really, really challenging. I have a, a, a great friend also named Luke, who we agreed a very long time ago, never to work together <laughs> because we have such a good friendship. And it just felt like, uh, you know, we could see the writing on the wall there that there was a, an urge to go start something together, but a danger in doing that because it would impact the friendship. Um, 
how have you found that expansion has affected your world? It's one thing to be toiling away at a startup, but you guys have had some really serious success and are getting a lot of word of mouth buzz in this space. Does, does that also change relationships to go from very small, young and hungry to a company that's exploding and growing? It changes everything, but people just want more and they want faster and they want bigger. And so even though it's a change, it feels like it's the same amount of pressure, no matter, no matter what. Yeah. This, yeah. this company is not going to go away, but how big, how fast. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, my, my co-founder Jake and I, we, we were very good friends beforehand and we are very close business partners today. Um, uh, we, we continue to show up and say, we get to decide what we want to do with this thing, but the more stakeholders you have, the more the expectations are, the harder it is to, to really do what you want to do. Yeah. What were Luke, what were the discarded ideas on the entrepreneur's pile? Uh, you know, every entrepreneur seems to have one or two things that they thought about doing before oh, they, uh, they hit their main idea. I've had three businesses that have, um, actually you know incorporated and and had revenue like um but none none really sustained um one uh was a company called thursday that i started with some business school friends thursday without the u and it was basically a if you and your romantic partner or you and a group of friends didn't know what you wanted to do one night you could just like you know you could just get a box delivered to you and you could go out and have a good time um it was really cool concept, but, uh, ultimately it's very hard to pick an agenda for someone that you don't know. And, and so yeah. we shut it down. Um, the, the second one, I started a Coachella bike rental company and until the pandemic, it was, it operated and it, it did like, you know, it's some pretty good size, uh, revenue for just like one weekend. And, and it was fun, yeah. but it was a part-time project. And, um, uh, the, the, uh, the other concept, which did not get very far, um, was a, a tiny washing machine. So something that uh, was like a miniaturized, almost portable washing machine that could just do your workout clothes. And, and you could just throw <laughs> it in great. at night and, and then just kind of like let it spin around and use low energy and then wake up and you don't have sweaty, stinky stuff to work out in. Is that one still toiling on a shelf somewhere or it's, or it's permanently shelved? I might bring it back, honestly. Give me 10 years. If I can go raise money for that concept, then, then let's, let's let it go. Yeah, I'm thinking, Luke, just while I'm on travel and on the road for work, that, uh, <laughs> that I might need that tiny washing machine. Um, you know, I, I, in the same vein, I've had friends go start up extremely successful companies, go IPO their companies, yet still have you know, the urge of a great idea pop up and be torn because they're trying to build something, um, you know, that's iconic, uh, like you guys are trying to do, um, yet they have this other cool concept. Has, has there been anything that's tugged at your brain since you guys launched Can? And you don't have to reveal to us what it is, but uh, just wondering whether you've had that entrepreneur's dilemma. Yeah, we, we think a lot about other beverages, and um, I think that you will actually see some cool stuff from us outside of cannabis, outside of sober, sober, low ABV drinks are super interesting to me. And I think when done well, they also solve this problem of unwanted alcohol consumption. 
um, mm -hmm. while still having alcohol in the picture. Uh, so I, I remain very interested in the low ABV category. Well, I, I will say, I didn't know this. Um, once you and I had already scheduled this conversation, I went to a, a store, a Chicago-based store called Foxtrot, and I saw a can on the shelves, not as a cannabis drink, uh, but just as a fizzy drink. And so it, it sounds mm -hmm. to me like you all have, have entered the, the non-THC cannabis market. Um, what, what, does that, what does that look like in terms of a transition strategy? Is the idea in places where maybe there's not cannabis that's legalized, you get people familiar with can uh, as, a, as a flavored beverage, and then you know, hopefully there's legalization in their area? What does that look like? Yeah, it's uh, it's just a good drink. <laughs> we we were encouraged by people who did not want THC to just make this, and retailers just yeah. picked it up and it's selling. It's it's you know riding off the strength of the brand equity and um, how good it tastes. People want like a nice thirty calorie, just small soda. It's it's healthier. It tastes delicious. Like you know why not? Some people use it as a mixer. Um, we're we're not so precious about how it's consumed or how it's marketed. We just we just kind of put it out there and, and people are buying it. Was that, was that a surprise to you? I mean, you guys went out there with this very novel product, a low dose weed drink. And then people are like, well, wait, just take the weed out. I really like the drink. <laughs> I mean, whose, whose idea was that? Uh, I mean, we, Jake and I both thought like, you know, this tastes so good. How do we answer the people that say, oh, what if I could have this without the cannabis? And, and we had the supply chain sorted out just subtract one ingredient and call it a day. Um, no ABV beers, they exist under the same brand as alcoholic beers. And, and I think that that helped us to say, you know, this is a logical extension of what we're doing and we see it elsewhere. Well, Luke, I, I want to ask you a final question here on what the future of this product category looks like. I'm, I, I just would like to imagine, you know, 20 years from now, do you think that consumers are really going to be veering away from alcohol. There does seem to be um, a, a pretty big movement that direction. There's a lot of sober curious people, a lot of sober drinks and apps, um, an explosion even in entertainment around the concept of sobriety. Do you see the marketplace looking more like people drinking your drinks than, than alcohol down the road? And, uh, and how do you see us getting from A to B? Alcohol is not going away. Um, it does a certain job very, very well. And, and there is an escapism that's very inherent to humanity that is everlasting, given that we are on this earth for such a short time. Um, but uh, I think you'll see, you know, maybe 20% of, of alcohol consumption in the future be to a THC beverage in places where it's established and it's as easy to get. Um, it's a very complicated path to get there, but legalization is the first step. And then smart regulatory reform, differentiating low-dose beverages from higher-dose beverages. And, and I think what, uh, what I dream of is a wall-to-wall -wall fridge at a dispensary with interesting options you know, across the spectrum. And, and right now, one thing that's holding us back is there are so few good-tasting THC drinks. And, and I, I want to invite anybody who wants to make one to just, like, put it out well uh you get the horrible puns all the time and but i i have to use one i want to end this on a high note and um ask you what's something that's kept you uh 
distracted in the entertainment realm lately, and especially during pandemic. I mean, like we're over, we're overflowed with shows. What is Luke Anderson Severance when he tries Severance. to dial out? Oh, Patricia Arquette I, we're, we're is, on a... is my icon and, and is is electric. Ben Stiller is an amazing director. Severance is the show. It's something that we're on travel right now that we downloaded. We haven't started watching. Uh, it sounds like we're going to plow our way through it. Is it a funny show? Is it a drama? I haven't quite picked up which it is from like the trailers on Apple. Dystopian, dark, um, definitely drama, but dark comedy interwoven. Yeah, is it is it Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? Like yes. in a in a comedic twist? Because that's what it kind of seems like a similar concept. Not not even more comedic. Um, less. <laughs> gotcha. Well, we're we're looking forward to diving in. Uh, Luke, really appreciate you being with us. The startup company is Can. You are out there speaking up on uh, on the future of weed, as it were, and a very interesting future indeed. So we appreciate you joining us, my friend. Thank you so much. All right. Well, thank you to Luke Anderson for being here, and I hope you'll join us next week for some other interesting guests who are speaking up on a range of different issues. And that's it for our podcast. We will talk to you soon.